So this is our third week in this series of the presence of God. Thinking about where we're going in this series and, and how to maybe illustrate this for you. My husband, Rob, that was the cute drummer this morning. Uh, my husband, Rob, he travels quite a bit for work. And a couple of weeks ago, he flew out east to work in St. John for the week. And while he was away, and just like every other time he's away, you've probably experienced this with your spouse or someone that you love, uh, we have a few different ways of communicating while there's a distance between us. The first and funnest one is Instagram Reels. You don't have to say anything, you just inbox them a funny reel that you saw. If you don't know what this is, it's fun times. So that's how you know someone loves you if they just inbox you a reel. Like, Aaron, you know I love you because I just send you random things and you're just like, oh, Tracy was thinking about me. That's a one way we communicate. Just all of a sudden, like, Rob has said nothing to me and I have five reels in my inbox on Instagram. It's beautiful. It's like, oh, it's sweet. He was thinking about me today, right? The other way, of course, that we, we communicate is through text. If you're texting with somebody, I mean, honestly, friends, if you're the person who's sending the text that's this, like, if I have to scroll through your text, you've misunderstood text messages. Joel, did I just, do you want to say amen? Oh, <laughs> because you're that guy. Okay, the exception is Joel. Uh, that's just from your, that's from your heart, Joel, right? I know. So, like, I don't want to kibosh that. Uh, so, but... Texting is like if, if Rob's away and we're texting each other, it's like we're co coordinating something, we're just sharing bits of information, something quick, like what time is your flight, or there's just like different little things like that. That's what you use the text message for, right? Um, but then there's FaceTime. FaceTime is like the best way to communicate with someone when they're away. In fact, uh, Jeremy, uh, we were having breakfast, all, all of us, uh, yesterday morning at our house. Jeremy's staying with us. And we were FaceTiming with Terry and the kids in Ethiopia. And being able to, so he was connecting with them as he does, of course, but we got a chance to connect with them as they were like uh, sitting down to dinner. It was just like, it's the coolest thing, like FaceTime. I'm old enough to still think it's cool because it didn't always exist. I love FaceTime because like when you're, you're looking at someone's face, you're, 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 they're telling you maybe a story. You shouldn't be doing that on text message, just so you know, not a whole story, just letting you know. Um, <laughs> You're listening to someone talk about their day. You're catching up on things. It's different when you're looking at someone face-to-face. -face. I, I, I do think FaceTime is pretty amazing. I'm not over it uh, or any kind of video chatting. When I moved to Edmonton in 1999 to go to college, um, anyone, until, like this modern era, you guys don't even know, you young ones, that when you went away to school, you didn't see your family's faces for months at a time. From, like you just didn't, you didn't, you maybe talked on the phone, of course, but long distance plans were a thing. It wasn't just free to call anywhere in Canada. Like it was a whole situation when you went away from somebody, you wouldn't see their face for such a long time. Now my mom lives like across the city from me and I will FaceTime her to show her that I bought a new pair of socks, like just for any reason whatsoever. Not quite, not quite that, but like we just, we don't even realize how, what a, a privilege it is. We have this ability to see one another, communicate like never before. And I know all of us say we hate Zoom, but can you imagine having gone through the pandemic without it? Like if we had had that, that, those lockdowns and there was no video chatting, you couldn't see anyone's faces but the people that you were in the house with at the time for that long, it would have been awful. Yeah, I said it. I said it. And not because I don't love my family. But because I would have missed all of you. You see how we did that? That's what I mean by awful. Obviously, my family's the best. 
Guys, don't read into things that aren't being said. Did I do it? Did I do it? Okay. <laughs> Uh, but as close as FaceTime or anything else like that can come to the real thing, seeing the person and hearing, uh, seeing their facial expressions and all of that kind of thing, it doesn't come close to, maybe this will redeem it, the, it doesn't come close to when Rob comes home from a trip and I hug him in real life. And even just the simple things, like just being in the kitchen and making coffee and making dinner together and sitting down over breakfast, like we can be sitting there silently not talking about anything, and it's still better than FaceTime. Just being with that person that you love. When there isn't a distance, when there's not a barrier between you and someone else, the relationship changes. The conversation is deeper. It's more telling. And that's usually, hopefully, more often for the good, but you know when something's also gone wrong in a relationship? Being in the same room with them is also very telling. There's like tension you can't quite describe. You know, there's just something so different about being in the room with something, someone. It's just deeper on so many levels. And when it comes to the presence of God, this is the kind of transition, kind of in a way, uh, that we, we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We've been talking about the Old Testament and how God's presence uh, was manifested there. He was present in incredible ways among his people, showing up time and again, manifesting his glory. But there was only so far that that could go. There was only so much that they could see of God. There was only specific times that, and only one person could go into the Holy of Holies once a year and, uh, and be near that Ark of the Covenant that we were talking about last week. Everyone stood at a distance. Everyone stood at a distance. So it still, of course, was a great privilege to be the chosen people of God, to be able to have the living God, sovereign God, living and residing in your camp, in the middle of your camp, as we've been talking about. But there was a limit to the intimacy that, the, that people could have with their God because sin still separated them. And every time it was dealt with, um, and we you know, get into like, all of that and the sacrificial system, every time that sin was dealt with, it was only temporary. It just had to be repeated over and over and over again. But then something else happened. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. That's, of course, John 1, 14, 16, 17, and 18. And if you're new with us and don't know this on the YouVersion Bible app, these scriptures are already loaded up there for you. You can always go there, go more, and then events. You can find the service, and that's all loaded there for you already. You can follow along. And this, of course, is how John starts his gospel account. He says this and, and, and makes such 
a strong statement, but just in case we misunderstood the, uh, the opening of his gospel, John quotes Jesus later in his gospel account. He quotes Jesus as saying this in John 14, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So what just happened here? Humanity just moved from FaceTime to the kitchen table with a cup of coffee. When John says, we have seen, we have seen his glory, we have seen him, he's not talking about like just in the spiritual sense, in the mind or the soul. Uh, he's talking about physical sight. He means that we as humanity, um, and, and we as in him personally, because he knew Jesus as he walked on the earth, and many others, of course, have seen, because Jesus came, we have now actually seen the glory of God in person. It's unbelievable. It's remarkable. And it's no mistake, the language that John is using here is, is no mistake. First of all, he wants to make sure that every one of his readers or hearers of this gospel um, are going to understand what he means when he says that Jesus is the word of God. And so he uses a very specific word. We talked about this before. Uh, because for the Greek, which is the, the language this is written in, for the Greek or the Gentile person, um, he says that the word was made flesh or logos was made flesh. And that word logos or word for the non-Jewish person referred to a, uh, the, the principle that governed the universe. So it was kind of a, a universal, the creator, something uh, in that sense. So there was, there were, they didn't always know what that was or disagreed about what, who that God was or what that concept was. Um, but for the non-Jewish person, the word was whatever governed the universe. And to the Jew, this same word, logos, was a reference to God, of course, because they knew who God was. And John states that Jesus was with God in the beginning and that through him all things were made. And then, so what he's saying is, Jesus is co-eternal or equal to God. And that was for the Jew, using this word logos. And he's also the creator. And so using that word logos to mean, to speak to his uh, non-Jewish audience to say, um, he's the creator that you've been thinking about and wondering about. This is who this is. And now he's made himself known to us. This God that you've been looking for, this God that you've been wondering about, this is who Jesus is. William Barclay says it like this. These were ideas which were known and familiar to both Jews and Greeks. And now he says the most startling and incredible thing that he could have said. He says, quite simply, the word which created the world, this reason which controls the order of the world, has become a person. And with our own eyes we saw him. When John said that no one has ever seen God, everyone in the ancient world would fully agree with him. People were fascinated and depressed and frustrated by what they regarded as the infinite distance and the utter unknowability of God. In Jesus Christ, the distant, unknowable, invisible, unreachable God has come to men and women, and God can never be a stranger to us again. But it wasn't just that Jesus made an appearance among us, no. He did so much more than that. In, just in these few sentences as John introduces his gospel account. The expression made his dwelling, the word made his dwelling among us, translates to one word in Greek, which literally means pitched a tent 
or the verb tabernacled. And it's that word, that word usage is also not a coincidence. It points us immediately to thinking of God's presence in the tabernacle, which we talked about two weeks ago. In the middle of the Israel, in the middle of Israel's camp from Exodus chapter 40, that's what we are supposed to be thinking about. And to see that Jesus as, as God dropping himself down among us, living among us, tabernacling with us, we're supposed to be thinking, this is the same God that was showing himself to the people of God, the Israelites, and now he is walking among us, tabernacling in the same way, but something very, very different is happening here. The reference to that Old Testament tabernacle, by the way, doesn't stop there because then John says, we have seen his glory. And when he says that we're, again, supposed to be thinking about that tabernacle, we're supposed to be thinking about what it meant the first time that God tabernacled with them. When God pitched a tent right in the middle of their camp, that's what we're supposed to be thinking. What happened then? He showed up with a cloud and with fire. Do you remember that from the story? He spoke to Moses face to face. He gave them a way to atone for their sins and to have him nearby to them and to lead them in every way. He was present then and he's present now in the word made flesh. Jesus coming to live among us. So what is God's glory? We've been using this word a lot. Um, we, we sing about it. We sang about it this morning. We, we read it in scripture. It's, it's not something that you probably use in everyday conversation. So what are we talking about when you hear the word glory, God's glory specifically? One commentary uh, defined it like this for me. So very helpful. The glory denotes the visible manifestation of God's self-disclosure in a theophany. Does that, does that clarify things for everybody? It actually is not incorrect. It's just a little bit, a little bit inaccessible. <laughs> it's just a little bit inaccessible. The word glory here, um, when, when John says we've seen his glory... It's translated from the Hebrew word Shekinah. And Shekinah means that which dwells. So I'm going to borrow again from here from uh, William Barclay's description of glory because I think you'll find it helpful the way that I did. He says it like this, to the Jews, the idea of Shekinah was highly valued. It's the word used for the visible presence of God. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, we come across the idea that there were certain times when God's glory was visible among his people. In the desert, before giving of the manna, the children of Israel looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. When the tabernacle was completed, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the priests could not enter in to minister, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. When Isaiah had his vision in the temple, he heard the angelic choir singing, the whole earth is full of his glory. Ezekiel saw the likeness of the glory of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord came at times when God was very close. And so the glory of the Lord means quite simply the presence of God. To be present with God. When Moses asked to see God's glory you remember from two weeks ago, he was literally asking to be in the presence of God. 
I want to be as close to you, God, as I possibly can. When Jesus came then, he was literally God being present among us. Shekinah glory, that which dwells, the presence of God, the visible presence of God. So these few sentences in the beginning of John's gospel are no joke. Are you picking up on that now? There is so much happening in these sentences that we need to understand for our lives. And we can't, we likely can't even fully understand how important this is, that Jesus embodied everything that humanity had longed for since the fall and rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. What we longed for, what we needed more than anything is access to the creator himself, relationship restored between us and him. No barriers, no waiting for special times and places, no watching someone else go into his presence on your behalf, but being able to do that for yourself. That's what creation, humanity, all of us had been longing for, that relationship with him. And here it is, Shekinah glory, Jesus himself, the word made flesh, walking among us, tabernacling among his people. Grace, it says, had been given to humanity through the law. That word grace um, is equivalent uh, to the Hebrew word hased, which is, means the kindness and faithfulness of God, his Loving kindness. It's not a perfect translation, but it's close. And the law gave his people, God's people, a way to be near to him. And it was a, such a beautiful thing. To, the law gave the, the Israelites a way to understand God's heart, to understand his holiness. But now, John's gospel says, we have received grace in place of that grace that was already given. Verse 16. So what kind of loving kindness is replacing that first loving kindness that was given through the law? Well, he says, for the, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we had the law, which was a beautiful loving kindness from the Lord. And it's been now given, in, in place of that, we've been given Jesus himself who brought us perfection in grace and truth. If you couple all of that together with what verse 18 says, that the Son has made the Father known, which is what we were longing for, we realize that Jesus has opened up unprecedented access to God for us. The word grace always holds two ideas in it, in, in, in this language. It means something completely undeserved, and it also means something so beautiful. So we knew that by the law, under the law, there was a limit to how close we could get to God. Even Moses couldn't see him face to face, remember? He could only see God's back. We had fun talking about that in our small group. What does that mean? Has so much to unpack, right? you got to come on Wednesday night, 6.30. You can come. Like, who knows what we're going to talk about? Uh, but Moses couldn't even see him face to face. Uh, but Jesus came to us in our sin and rebellion with hearts that are far from God, so completely undeserved. We didn't do anything to earn that. And he showed us something truly beautiful. We've been given grace to draw near to God. Forgiveness being made right through his sacrifice on the cross for us, 
because he could do that as the perfect sacrifice. And in him, we see the heart of the Father for us. Undeserved, so beautiful. Jesus shows us what grace really looks like. Jesus also full of grace and truth. Truth meaning reliability in word and action. The word, logos, Jesus, is reliable and truthful is what this word means. He speaks truth. He testifies to the truth. He embodies the truth about God and his plan for salvation. And so not only is Jesus full of grace, he embodies truth. There is no questioning or wondering with him. There's no worry when you follow Jesus ever about being misled or being betrayed. He is perfect in all of his ways. He will never compromise what is right because of his love for you, nor will he fail to love you perfectly because of what is true. He does it perfectly. And that's why he can always be trusted. Jesus showed us just how perfect our God is. And he expressed them both perfectly. Perhaps, though, for us living in this post-resurrection time, we're 2,000 years or so past when uh, Jesus rose from the dead, when this, when this word made flesh had made his sacrifice for us and ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit and all of the things. I hope that you know this story. If not, I'd love to introduce it to you. We're, we're quite a bit removed from that time, aren't we? we maybe are kind of used to the fact that Jesus came. We're used to the sound of his name. We're used to the fact that he made it possible for us to know God in the closest possible way. We're used to the fact that we can just call on him whenever we want. Maybe the name of Jesus has become a little bit commonplace 2,000 years later. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's what I was wondering as I was looking at these scriptures again. I'm looking at the depth of the meaning of these words. I know I did a lot of like, here's what the original word meant and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was thinking about it and thinking, this is so incredible. And I wonder how much wonder we hold around this. So the question for us then, church, is how then, if this is all true, how do we, do we respond to a revelation like John 1:14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us? How do we engage our hearts? And how do we learn to love and serve Jesus for, for who he is and for all that he's done? How do we wrap our minds around this so that our lives are literally centered on it? Because if that's true, if everything I just said about what happened and being able to be in the very presence of our creator, the Logos, like if this is all true, how does my life reflect that truth? I can't do, I can't, it can't be nothing. It can't be like, that's cool, thanks Jesus. Like that's not, like that's not enough. What does it mean then to really have this in my heart? I, I thought a lot about this. It's really hard to come up with practical like three-step solution to how to make Jesus meaningful to you. I'm sorry, Walt. I am trying to make this not annoying. <laughs> I was thinking about my own life and my own journey into I don't, I don't know how to say it without being a little bit cheesy, so if you'll forgive me, but really and truly in my life falling in love with Jesus. And I, I, I'm trying to, I was trying to think back on what that journey looked like for me. And there are two, well, I guess three things 
that, that caused me to fall and are causing me to fall more and more in love with him. The first one is this, because when I read scriptures like this, um, this may not be your first take on it, but this is what was necessary in my life. Is that I had to read scriptures like this, understanding who Jesus was, and understand my own life in light of it. Because the cultural message is not the same as what scripture says. Scripture is calling us to understand who our creator is and all that he's done to have a relationship through us by sending Jesus. And so I had to get really honest about who I really am and what I'm capable of. And I don't mean that in a positive way. How rebellious I am against what God wants in my life. How, what does the old hymn say? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I had to be really honest about the fact that I'm not enough unless you come. So I need you to meet me here, Lord. I had to get honest about Jesus' perfection and my life in, in view of it. And I'm not, I'm not saying you need to walk out of here feeling super bad about yourself. That's, like, that's the devil's condemnation. But the conviction of the Spirit would say, look in the mirror and, and really like, see what you see there in light of who Jesus is in his perfection. I had to get more and more and more honest about who I am and what I'm really truly capable of, how selfish I am, how controlling I am. How, in truth, I just want to do it my own way because I think I know better. Ah, is it just me? I don't think so. <laughs> so that was, that's always number one, and that's humble yourself before the Lord, and he's going to lift you up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's always the first step. We talk about that a lot here. I'm never going to stop talking about it. And the second thing, in, from that place of just really being honest about what is really in my heart and who I am in light of who Jesus is, is to, this is going to be kind of a dumb way to say this, but I couldn't think of a better one, consider him. Like, think about him. Look for Jesus in all of the things in your life. Think about how he has saved you. Think about what you've been rescued from. Think about the people that he's put around you. Think about the fact that you don't have to do life alone, but you're surrounded by a church family. Consider his sacrifice. Consider um, the choice that he made. Consider his teaching. Consider, I just, just, can, I just started to consider Jesus. I started to read the Gospels in light of all of these things. I started to ask myself, who is this Jesus? And the more I looked at him, the more I fell in love with him. Like, you guys are awesome, and I love you. You're not him. I love when I see him working in your lives. I love when I see you being his hands and feet. Um, and, and those things have all helped to point me to him, but I had to be looking for that. I had to be considering Jesus himself. Who is he? And what has he done for me that I need to go like, and be just in awe? Just in awe. And then I guess, I guess the natural conclusion to that, I think anyone, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. 
But the natural conclusion to, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop this wardrobe malfunction. I love these earrings, but they're, it's, it's not an, it's too distracting. Uh, the, uh, the, the third thing that would be the most natural outcome from you considering who Jesus is, is for you to let him dictate the terms of your life and to watch your life grow in grace. That's what it was like for me. The more I considered Jesus, the more I understood for myself that I needed him to dictate the terms of my life, how I would respond, what he was pointing out, what I needed to confess, um, how I needed to change my attitude. Again, I don't think that's probably just me, but it might be. How I needed to, how, how he was wanting to shape my life, where he wanted to send me next, all of these things. I let him dictate the terms of my life instead of me. And I have watched my life grow in grace ever since. I think that's my testimony. That as I've given myself to Jesus, he has grown in grace in my life in so many ways. So I wonder this morning if you would consider again, maybe or for the first time, the great gift of Jesus and the glory of God, his presence. The fact that he came to show us who the Father is, and in that showing, invite us to live so freely in the presence of God. Not somebody else going to God's presence for you, but an invitation, a wide open invitation to just run into his presence. We sang about that this morning too. Good set list, Matt. Well played, sir. So some questions for us to consider this morning. How do you live in light of the revelation that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If what I've said is true, if what John, of course, has said in his gospel account, if all of this is actually true, then what is our response to this incredible gift? I've been considering, when I become aware of the presence of God, of this great gift, what did it change in my life? How could it change my life? What might he be calling me to? How, how is it that my focus needs to change, whatever that is? Is there something I need to say yes to that I've been saying no? Is there something I need to say no to that I've been ignoring or saying yes to? Is there a habit or a discipline that I need to pick up or lay down? Just in light of knowing that I want Jesus to be the one to dictate the terms of my life. Worship team, would you come and just help us this morning? just want to take a few minutes and consider these things. This is a really personal journey. Mary Lynn, I really do want you to take me into the key of C, please. Somebody said they don't know all the old songs that I know, and they'd like us to sing more of them. And I said, okay. Um, In light of the journey, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of where you are right now, how is it that considering Jesus, the word made flesh, making his dwelling among us, giving us a chance to be in the presence of God, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you about that this morning? What is your response to him? So we're just gonna take a few minutes. It's so personal, honestly, what the Spirit might be saying to you. So I've asked the team to just lead us in worship to Jesus for a few moments. 
and invite the Spirit to come and say what he needs to say to each one of us, including me. Let's stand together. And so we, Holy Spirit, invite you to come and speak anything you want to speak to us. We let go of control of what we think those things should be or could be or whatever, and we want you to help us uh, by revealing Jesus to us this morning. Holy Spirit, come and do that work. Spirit of Jesus, come. Spirit of Jesus, come. Show us more about who you are. Show us your face. Teach us your ways. Show us your glory. Let us be in your presence and let us be changed as we are in your presence from glory to glory. Jesus, we want to worship your name. Putting you in that highest place, that place of honor, so that everything else is secondary, is, is, is so much less, and everything finds its alignment and center in you. Show us your face, Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. How would you want us to respond? Come on, sing his name with me.